The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. Welcome once again to It Came From Radio, the official of the Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking with me via virtual distancing. We have none other than senior correspondent, Charlie Salzino. Hello, fun seekers! We have uh, from Fishy Carsasm, from Fishy Sarcasm, Dominic Nasperano. Wait, Paya, which is the opposite backwards. And we have none other than L Man Jenny Feldy. Good evening, rest seekers. So on this week's show, we have another Jaber and Lee segment, and Elman Jenny Feldy interviews the Titanic guy, Raph Avilia. Avilia or Avila? Avila. Avila. So Raph Avila, we have that. But before we do any of that, let's take it away with the news. It's Morphin Time! This is brought to you in part by the fine folks at sci-fi.radio. That's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. As well as the fine folks at the Big Apple Con, in which we are the official radio show of celebrating over 25, six years of conference and pop culture stuff. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. The next convention will be the Big Apple Trading Card Show. It's a two-day show on May 7th, scheduled for May 7th and May 8th. Also, I want to give out shout-outs for our Patreons, of which there are Danny Grillo, award-winning director, Jared Burrell, Kyle, Horn, Millie Portez, Newsday, Famous Dresden Media, Unjikun, Shadow Rabbit Art, The Hurricane, Yasmin Ray, and Rosa, you want to get your own little shout-out, go to our website, www.camefromradio.com, and on there, there's a button to go there, take you right to the Patreon page, and just for a dollar a month, you can get a shout-out on our show. All right, so let's see. We're going to start off with the sad news, as we always do, which we only have one bit of sad news this week. Mark, take um, a breath. Breathe, dude. Breathe. <laughs> oh, my God. Actress. Well, we're, 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 we're a short news segment, so I got to do Oh, um, go faster, go faster. Actress <laughs> Elizabeth Sheridan died recently as of this recording, which is April the 20th, 2022. No cause of death has been announced. While mostly a TV actress, Elizabeth did appear in such films as Jekyll and High, Together Again, Legal Eagles, Who's That Girl, Only You, Brain Smasher, A Love Story, Forget Paris, and Play the Game, just to name a few. On the smaller screen, in addition to numerous roles, she is perhaps best known for her role as Jerry's mother, Helen, in 21 episodes of the NBC series Seinfeld, which ran from 1990 to 1998, as well as the nosy neighbor Raquel for 34 episodes of the NBC series Alf, which ran from 1986 to 1990. I know uh, Dominic is a Seinfeld fan. Are you aware Correct, sir. of... Yes. Uh, Oh, I found it? it, yes, and I found it kind of serendipitous. They're all, they're all going? Weird. Well, just, just kind of serendipitous and weird that, like, the actress that played George's mother just died, like, a, a week or two ago, and now yeah. she Jerry's on-screen mom has just died, She and she only died a couple, like, five days after her 93rd birthday. Yes, yes, um, that's wild. I know, it's kind of crazy. No, Not as crazy as Telly Savalas dying on his 70th birthday. But uh, pretty close. So I know Elman Jenny Feldy, Amazing. you were a Seinfeld fan, so you know of uh, Jerry's mom? Yeah, I was just watching Comedians in Cars. And, uh, well, he didn't have a mom on that show, so you must be talking about the other show. <laughs> but, yeah, of course. Of course, R.I.P. Very sad. Very weird. 
RIP to the mothers and happy Mother's Day in advance. What about you, Stan Correspondent Charlie Saldino? Oh, yeah. One of my favorite episodes is when uh, George was at the house and uh, at their house, the parents' house, and she walked in on him while he was uh, doing his business uh, with one of her magazines. Glamour magazine. Glamour, thank you. Glamour magazine. And yeah. he was not the master of his domain at that moment. Oh, yes. Yeah, still have that. Definitely in. not. Yeah. That was the episode yeah. that broke Seinfeld big. The, that was like the beginning of like, did you see yeah. what happened last night on Seinfeld? Yeah. Well, the master of domain, uh, that was a unique episode. King uh, of the County. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so she was a uh, spry 93 years old. Nice. Wow. So moving on from the. That's a lot of nuts. Department. The new Harry Potter spinoff film, Fantastic Beasts and the Secrets of Dumbledore, not in the Secrets of the Secrets of Dumbledore has taken the number one spot in the domestic box office, pulling in a quote-unquote disappointing $45.8 million in ticket sales, knocking off the new Sonic sequel, which made an additional $33 million in its second week of release. Those of you keeping track, the new Batman film is still the highest-grossing film of 2022 with $365 million, with the second, third Spider-Man film at $231 million. Keep in mind that Spidey is last year's highest-grossing film, so it's still number one and number two. Uh, Fantastic Beast comes in at number 11. Dominic Definition Man Sperano, did you get the chance to see the Batman? I'm actually in the middle of watching it now. Ah, and I right did now. exactly what I said I'd do. I paused it when I want to pause it. I come back. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's it great. is wonderful. Um, and so far, I have been enjoying it. Uh, I'm about, hold on, I can tell you specifically how far I am. I'm about 90 minutes, so I'm about halfway in All right. to it. Just a little bit more than that. Um, I've been liking it. I feel it is a bit derivative from The Dark Knight, um, certainly in terms of how it's a certain look, kind of like a mishmash of that and Gotham. Um, I think Robert Pattinson's doing a pretty good job of playing a young Bruce Wayne and Batman. That, I think, is the key to keep in mind here. People are used to seeing a polished Bruce Wayne, even with uh, uh, Christian Bale's performance. But he's playing a very young 28-year-old Bruce Wayne. Um, Colin Farrell is really good as the, as the Penguin, I feel. But I, I can't help but think they should have just uh, gotten Richard Kind instead because that's who the, he looks like. I haven't finished it, so I don't know how it ends. To me, though, the real what they got really perfect was Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle. All right. I feel like it almost should be a Catwoman movie. There's, there are things that I'm not liking about it, and I don't want to give away like any spoilers. Um, there are certain things I'm not enjoying. I feel like it's a little off. It's very much, I feel like they took a lot from Batman Year One, like that sort of feel to it. I thought also think that Jeffrey Wright is doing a very good job as, uh, as James Gordon. Mm-hmm. I like him. In Cat- I, I loved Gary Oldman as James Gordon, too. But I feel Jeffrey Wright is also doing a good job of, of playing the role. Um, and uh, what's his name? Who played played Gollum is doing a pretty good job of Alfred. Andy Circus. Andy Circus. I knew Circus. I couldn't remember the first name. So, senior correspondent Charlie Saldino, did you see Batman yet? Uh, no, that would be no. L Man Jenny Feldy, you see Batman yet? No, but I'm reading the follow up screenplay actually uh, called Bat They, and um, well, you can guess 
it's neither man nor woman, and it might not even be a and I'll be coming out the theaters before 2030. So that joke fell flat because you sound really bad yeah. in the recording, just letting you know. You yeah, very, it sounds sound like very you're being delayed. auto-tuned. Yes. What do you mean I sound really bad? It was very, it was very <laughs> hard to hear. Very, very, yeah, that's what it well, sounded like. You were very delayed. Um, so I, tell I, you one, I saw it. Wow. So I I'll tell just, you one yes, movie yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing. And me and my lady both want to see this, and it's coming out this weekend. Uh, the Nick Cage movie where he's playing himself. Ah, yes, yes. Um, let's see. Hopefully, that will knock uh, the Fantastic Beast off of its title. It's but rated one hundred percent fresh. Yeah, but I did want to say I did see the Batman, and um, quickly I just want to mention I think it was one of the the most Batman non the most non Batman Batman film I've ever seen. I agree with you on that. And I thought I liked it, so I'll just I'll just say that, and I'll go more detail at another time because we're almost out of time. Yeah. We're running out I'm of not, on fumes. I'm not disliking it. I'm enjoying it, but I agree with you. It's this could be very generic in terms of a story. Right. So it doesn't um, have to be a Batman movie. So speaking of Nick Cage, wait, 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 wait and get to the segue uh, here. Almost from, like we planned this. Yeah. From yeah. the. Department. In a recent interview, none other than Nicolas Cage shed some light on why there was never a third National Treasure movie made. Nick says, the phone stopped ringing. It was like, what do you mean we're not doing National Treasure 3? It's been 14 years. Why not? Well, Sorcerer's Apprentice didn't work, and Ghost Rider didn't really sell tickets, and Drive Angry, that just came and went. I did like Drive Angry, though. That was in 3D. Um, I enjoy making movies like Pig and Leaving Las Vegas more than I enjoy making movies like National Treasure. When I talk about Fairweather Friends in Hollywood, I'm talking about Disney. They're like an ocean liner. Once they go in a certain direction, you have to get about a million tugboats to try to swivel it back around. The executives say, <clears throat> I tried my damnedest to get National Treasure 3 up. I love those movies. I worked on them from the inception. What I felt happened is that even though these movies were extremely successful, they had a strong fan base. It's a movie that gets brought up all the time. The company was never able to capitalize on it as a franchise. It was more of a movie with a sequel, and National Treasure 3 would have been another sequel. Meaning that they never figured out Disney, never figured out a way to integrate it into the parks, never caught on, even though there were a lot of consumer products, and never caught on as an independent franchise. And that makes numbers look different. It can make it harder to make a company like Disney focus on something when they can really go make Toy Story or buy a cruise ship. And if the company had really been excited about moving forward with it, and they thought they could blow it out, they would have found a way to make the deal. Well, I have something to say about that. What do you have to say about that, senior correspondent Charlie Saladino? First of all, you sounded nothing like Nicolas Cage. And secondly, the um, all the official people, you sounded like them for a minute and then you went back to Maltoris. All right, that's it. <laughs> um, were you a fan of National Treasure, uh, Dominic? I enjoyed them. I mean, look, they, they're playing in the same sandbox, uh, spoofing a little bit of uh, Indiana Jones, but I thought it was pretty cool. They gave pretty good explanations as to how his character knew everything that he knew and could do everything that he did. Um, I even enjoyed the one thing where he's wearing a tuxedo under a, a wetsuit, sort of lost like a little James Bondish there. Uh, so I enjoyed the movies; they were good, and there should have been a third one. Um, Elman and Jenny Field, should I ask, 
Or should we keep it moving? <laughs> keep it moving. Keep it moving. All right. It never, it never drew me in. I just, I just saw pictures of it. No. What about no. you, senior correspondent Charlie Saldino? Uh, yeah, I liked the both of them. I, I enjoyed the both of them. And, uh, uh, you know, as for making a third one, I'm pretty happy with two of them. All right. I've, <laughs> I've never seen either one. And um, oh, what, never what a shocker. <laughs> what a shocker. Did, did we see them? Did I see them? No, I never saw them. No. Should we see them? Should we watch them? Uh, well, do you think okay. do you think she should watch them? Should she, I don't know. They leave <laughs> they leave the second one off on like a bit of a I wouldn't say a cliffhanger, mm. but they leave it with this sort of bit of a mystery, which would delve well into a third movie. So mm, okay. Mm. All right. So let's go to the final bit of news uh, from the "Kick Them When They're Down" department. That's yeah, the best time to kick. For those of you who have been hanging, for those of you who have been hanging on bated breath on the resolution of actor Chris North and OTH, I always thought his name was Chris North, a character on the new Equalizer TV series starring Queen Latifah, who also serves as a executive producer. Due to the actor's multiple sexual assault allegations last year, the wait is over. On the most recent episode, aired on April 10th of this year, turns out that they decided to kill off the character in one of the worst executed off-screen deaths of the year. For those of you who haven't been t- paying attention, Chris's character, William Bishop, was absent ever since the allegations came out, which prompted CBS to fire Chris on the spot. Uh, the episode titled Pulse had the main characters trying to get hold of William, who for obvious reasons was never shown, and then the plane that he was on got shot down out of the sky. <laughs> Um, it was very, very poorly done. Like, uh, I'm, I'm sure, as, as we've seen many TV shows where the actor is not part of the production when they kill off the actor, how, yeah. how, how they have to try to squeeze it in and make you think they didn't even bother to try. They didn't even have like an over the shoulder of him. He wasn't even, he was just, they talk about him and they showed the a plane far, far away and they just mm. killed him off. Senior correspondent Charlie Sandia, do you want to remind us of a uh, MASH? Well, I want to remind you of what? Of MASH. The, the show MASH when they killed off the guy? Do you remember MASH when they killed off the guy? You, you do not remember. MASH? Yes. I know I know yeah. what he's talking about, where they kill off the original commanding <laughs> officer. He's, oh, yeah. he's going when, home and his pl- his helicopter right, gets and his, shot down. Uh, helicopter and radar comes in down. and yeah, yeah, yeah. Radar comes in and delivers the news and everyone's like <gasps> Yeah. 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 Well, they think they did uh, a lot of things like that on Mitch, but that was, that was, uh, I'm glad he went. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like Morgan better as the I, commanding officer. But it's, it's, it's a thing that, you know, they try to do when, when people get into trouble or quit the show or whatever, and some yeah. handle it much better than others. But this one was so badly handled. And as a side thing, it bothers me how these were only allegations. They decided to fire him, you know, just mm. nothing. And they just killed off the character. So even if, even if he gets uh, exonerated, mm. his job is who done. Is, who, wow. is the, uh, who is the backing company of the Equalizer? This is uh, CBS. CBS, so it'd be Paramount. CBS, it's oh, Paramount. Okay. Yeah. Um, there is, a, like right now, there's a whole thing about Jeff Garland and um, what was the, the show that he's on? The Goldbergs. Mm. About how he yeah. has oh, yeah. had a quote-unquote he... disagreement. He left the show and right. they're using like a bad CGI and stand-ins and over-the-shoulder shots and like old clips putting him in there. 
like it's just really 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 bad and sometimes like you know we're trying our best here we didn't know he was gonna leave right like you would think that they could try a little bit better they did um there's a show on netflix called the ranch where they had to deal with the same thing with danny masterson ah yes with his allegations which have gone to trial or are going to go to trial i felt they did a fairly good job of getting rid of the character in a certain way well um, like sometimes when uh we have less than two minutes so like sometimes when they have a a, a situation where they where the actor dies you know you can understand it but yeah. i think in the world of creativity they should at least come up with you know more different ways to just have the person leave the show well, well uh two and a half men did a brilliant way <laughs> the piano <laughs> fell on him <laughs> that's very true yes yeah. And and then that was the whole thing. As a matter of fact, how they were like, will he come back? Will he not come back? Yeah. For the last show, everybody, the way they were saying it, you thought he was going to show up. But <laughs> uh, a facsimile gets to the door and uh, the piano falls on. Yeah. <laughs> and then Chuck, uh, Chuck Laurie is in the director's seat and he turns around and he goes, winning. And the piano falls on him. Yeah, because no, really? no one, no one got out unscathed from that uh, finale. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm gonna have to YouTube this. Yeah, it was it was more hype than anything. I have to say, like I was like I saw it, like all right, that's the best I could do. Fine. Um, according to Charlie Sheen, it just uh, they just could not come uh, to an agreement. But according to Chuck Lorre, he's like that wasn't even an option. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he did one of the worst things that you can do, and he insulted the creators of the show. That's yeah. right. He did which, multiple times. <laughs> which there's two things you should, you can't, you really can't do. You can't conflict money. You can't stop money from flowing because that'll get you fired. And you can't publicly do something so outlandish, i.e., Will Smith. Like when you yep. do it publicly and you make someone lose face, that will get you, that'll get you canned. I can yeah. think of something worse that he could have done. Worse than he can done in less than a minute. Go, Jen. He could have given the maids. What? Oh. 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 I thought you said he could have given them the maid. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, I know she said maids too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, senior correspondent, less than 30 seconds to go. You have a final thought? Uh, yeah, just be nice to everybody. <laughs> Dominic Definition Man's problem to you. Less than 15 seconds, you have a final thought. Winning. <laughs> <laughs> So with that, we're going to take our break and we'll be right back if you came from the radio. See you later. Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at hotmail.com. Net processor is linked to sci-fi.radio, the sci-fi for my Wi-Fi. The more I listen, the more I learn. Now, back to our show. This is Jay Bird and Lee with special guest Riley. Hello. How are you today? Good, how are you? Good, good. What are we talking about today? Bowling! Your favorite sport now, huh? Yep. Really? Is it better than tennis? Yep. Really? Yeah. All right, tell me why you like it so much. Because, like, I like it because you're not really, like, like, it's inside. Well, I like <laughs> that. Because it's inside? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, kind of. 
but also because like I like when you just like I like when you have a bowling ball and you just hit the pins and you just hear that boom. You feel good when you hear the smashing of the pins. Yeah, and I like getting strikes and turkeys. Did you get a turkey yet? I was close. I got two strikes, but then I was like a spare or something. Oh, so you got two strikes and a spare? Yeah. In a row? Kind of not Not really. No, the two strikes were, but not the spare. All right, so that's not even (laughs) near a turkey. Well, close, I guess, the two strikes. I've gotten a couple of turkeys in my day, which is three strikes in a row. Yeah. I have. I did pretty well. I know. Oh, you do know? Yeah. It's because I told you. No. You never saw it. I did. One time you got a, tur- a turkey. Oh, I guess that's true. You saw it? Wow, that's so ex- so awesome. I'm so happy that you got to see it. Mm-hmm. So, what's your average from what I saw the other day... Was 118. No, that well, that was the one of your scores. Oh. 118. I think your average is 84. Oh. Which is pretty good for 10 years old. Yeah, that's true. And you didn't really bowl in a league before. Yeah. Do you like bowling now? Yeah. So you have... Tell me about your bowling gear. So my bowling gear is just a bowling ball. Then... What color is the bowling ball? Is it custom? What is going on with it? Yeah, it's it's custom. And it's like all these different shades. Well, it's only two shades of blue. But it's like this, like... I don't know how to describe it, but it's like this golden blue. What's a golden blue? It's like, it's like golden, but it's a blue color of golden. There's no way yeah. that it even exists. Yeah, that exists. It's like a blue ball with what a gold tin? No, on it? no, it's not that. It's like it's all blue. Well, and then it's like um, a tie dye of. Um, it's a tie dye blue. Yeah, but it's like a tie dye of this golden blue. I it's know. like think of golden and then think of blue. Now think of golden blue. Okay, I have no idea what you're saying. It looks like a blue ball to me that looks like a tie-dye blue, marbleish kind of color. Yeah. Does it have your name on it? Yeah, it does. It has my name written there, orange. Orange? It's an orange? Yeah. Oh, maybe it's an orange tinge on your ball then. It's not an orange tinge on my ball. It's a golden tinge? A golden blue tinge. Oh, man, you're nuts. All right, so did you get anything else with it? Uh, Yeah, so I got the bag that you carry it in. Then I got my own sneakers, which are like green. It's like a spider web, and it's like green for the color. The bolt, the 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 shoes are like a golden. Well, that's a green kind of color. Yeah. yeah, and then like blue on the rest of it, and then black on the sneaker part when you walk. And then the last thing I got there, well, at the bowling place, where it's like uh, it's like a thing where your hands get sweaty and like. But it's like, it doesn't help it, but it doesn't make it worse. It dries your hands, doesn't it? It dries it, but it has this powder. If you squish it, it just has powder yeah. shooting yeah, out. It's like a rosin bag or some kind of powder that comes out of it. Yeah. You get sweaty hands? Not really. I just use it sometimes. For fun? Yeah. Oh, that's ridiculous. But I'm sure you're sweaty. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I should use it for my head. <laughs> oh, you can't use it for your head. What are you going to do? Bowl your head down the alley? No, but I was th- saying... To wipe my head because it it gets sweaty. Yeah, that's nasty. No, it's cold showers. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you like showering? Not really. Yeah, sure. Um, 
So that's good. So you've been bowling a lot. We tried this bowling ball machine to glossy the ball. Yeah, it it looks the same. It's just that it probably didn't have. It doesn't have a lot of dirt on it. it. Says it gives this high gloss to the ball, and didn't look like it gave a high gloss at all. Just looked like it gave gloss on it. I feel like it's a three dollar ripoff that just took yeah. your money and pretended to clean your ball properly. Anyway, do you love bowling? Yeah. Is it one of your favorite things to do? Yep. You're going to keep on joining the league? Yep. It sounds like a lot of yeps to me. Mm, yep. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, have a good... I guess that's it for our conversation then. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good day. Thank you for being here, Riley. Yep. Oh, come on. <laughs> all right. All right. You're uh, welcome. Okay. Stay safe. Stay connected. The Comic Book Depot has been in business since 1993. Your one-stop comic book shop for comics, gaming, and collectibles. The Comic Book Depot club membership is $15 and gets you 15% off new comics, back issues, graphic novels, and 10% off comic book supplies. Located at 2847 Jerusalem Avenue in Wontaw, New York. Contact us on Facebook for curbside pickup because new comics are back. For more information, give Alan a call at 516-221-9337. The Comic Book Depot. Hello, this is Carrie Hoskins. I play Sonya Blade in Mortal Kombat. You are listening to It Came From The Radio. Ever wanted to enter the world of comics but didn't know where to start? Worry not, true believers. We at the Comic Book School may just have the answer to your questions. Created by comics veteran Buddy Scalera, the Comic Book School is a free online educational resource that helps rising creators learn the craft and business of making comics through resources like forums, interviews, publication opportunities, publisher guidelines, and step-by-step blog posts. For more info, please visit our site at www.comicbookschool.com. Be sure to join our forums and follow us on social media while you're there. We'll see you on the message boards. Now, back to our show. Oh man here. I just watched the new Titanic movie, Mysteries from the Grave, True Stories from Titanic Survivors. And I'm here with Raph Avila, social media Titanic influencer. We have Titanic influencers nowadays. So first question, obviously, uh, how does anyone, specifically you, become a Titanic influencer? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great question because I wouldn't have even known if it hadn't happened to me. But uh So I'll explain from the beginning. So obviously for me, I've always been the Titanic. I've always been obsessed with the Titanic. It's always been my interest ever since I was a little kid. Um, I I remember watching a documentary when I was little, I was really into it. And then a few months later, the movie in 1997 came out. So that sort of solidified my interest in the Titanic. So then for the next couple of years, as a you know, in elementary school, all I would do for fun is I would go to the public library, take out every single book that I could find on the Titanic. So it's always really been part of my life. And I've always been used to talking about Titanic and having everyone around me ignore me because it's just me spewing Titanic facts and whatnot. Um, So now fast forward to April of 2020. This is now the, we're approaching the 108th anniversary of the sinking. And for many of us within the Titanic community, Every April 14th and 15th, that's Titanic Day. That's the day the Titanic hit the iceberg and sank. So uh, for many, many years, you know, I had been Joyous doing- day. Yeah. <laughs> for many years, I've been doing like my, uh, my uh, commemorating, right? So I, I would watch the movie or do something else. And um, 
that day, I was getting ready to listen to a podcast on YouTube. There's a really good channel called Titanic Honor and Glory. They went viral a couple of years ago because they had a a real-time animation of the Titanic sinking, which was really, really cool. And every year they had been doing a podcast. So I was getting ready with my, with my scotch. And then I, um, I'd been experimenting with TikTok a little bit mm-hmm. as I think everyone was like at the beginning of the pandemic. And I thought I was like, Hey, maybe I'll share uh, an interesting Titanic story. I have a trillion of them here in my head. I'll make a TikTok about that. So I started fumbling around with my phone. I wasn't very well experienced with, with TikTok. So I filmed a couple of shots. I decided to feature the story of the drunk baker, Charles Jugan, which is a real story. And uh, in the James Cameron movie, you see an actor play that, that um, drunk baker. There was a lot of very historically accurate moments in the movie. So I decided to you know, film a couple of shots there uh, for the TikTok. I did a voiceover just explaining the story. I thought it'd be easier than me typing stuff out. And then I also included some captions. And then boom, yeah, I sent the TikTok. And probably within a few minutes, I started noticing that the view count started going up. It went like a hundred views, then 300 views, a thousand, 5,000, 10,000 at a rate that I'd never seen before, just boom, took off. And I was like, Oh, what is happening right now? So it was pretty crazy. So I let my, you know, I left my phone alone. I continued with my Titanic activities. I watched the podcast and then the next day, I woke up and that TikTok had nearly 2 million views and I had gained nearly 10,000 followers overnight. So I was like, whoa, this is crazy. So basically I, I took that opportunity to share some more Titanic, uh, you know, facts and survivor stories. So I just kept on posting more TikToks in a similar style featuring John Jacob Astor featuring the unsinkable Molly Brown. Margaret Brown, Um, all these different survivor stories. And every single one of those videos just started going quite viral. So I would get a million views, 2 million views. And then very quickly, my follower count sort of uh, started exploding. So that's when I realized I'm like, Hey, maybe there, there is an audience for people that, you know, are into the Titanic. Maybe I'm not alone with with my Titanic obsession. So that's how everything really began. Uh, And now we have a, a Obviously, the TikTok page. We, I have my Instagram page where I also post the TikToks uh, too, and then I have the the YouTube channel. So there's uh, that's how I became sort of a Titanic influencer. It's weird to say. Name, what's the name of your TikTok channel and Instagram channel for anyone? Yeah, so the TikTok channel is just Raf underscore Avila, so my name. Um, but if you search on any of the social medias, you search Titanic Guy, uh, Titanic Guy Raf, you'll find me. So. Uh, on Instagram, it's titanic.guy. My YouTube page is just my name. So just search Titanic Guy. There's also a website, titanicguy.com. Anything, it's all branded Titanic Guy to keep things. Oh, simple. Titanic Guy. Question on conspiracy theorists, conspiracy theorists and conspiracy theories. Yeah. Maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist, but a lot of the things that I've been thinking for 20 years <clears throat> have turned out to be true. Like sunscreen. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we'll stick to Titanic. We'll go away from sunscreen and wine and butter. Um, yeah. All right. Number one, the captain sent the wrong color flares. He sent the white flare, signaling no problem. Number two, ignored warnings from the boat, the Californian. Number three, the evacuation drill was skipped so people could be comfortable and go to church instead. Don't get me started on the formalities (laughs) and traditions, uh, overtaking efficient steps that are needed to save people's lives every day. And then number four, 
only 27 people filled a lifeboat, which could have accommodated like 50 or 60. So it looks like whoever the staff was, which, you know, I'm sure they were a little befuddled, but people weren't like forcing people to evacuate and or people didn't want to. So those are four reasons right now that, you know, the safety wasn't maybe things could have been avoided. What do you think? And there was a lot of rich people on that boat. Yeah, I have many, many thoughts uh, because obviously whenever in the Titanic community, you always have uh, these theories that pop up because it's it's one of these events where everybody, I mean, we're still talking about it 110 years later. It's obviously generated a lot of interest. And when something generates a lot of interest, people like to to scrutinize and take a look at everything. So there's always been this faction within the Titanic community that really um, tries to rationalize a lot of what happened and creates these theories. I'm not a big fan of using the term conspiracy theory. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's an easy way to discount somebody just asking uh, some legitimate questions. Yes. But w- with a lot of the questions that you're asking, um, we really have to look at what the actual facts were. So the very first question that you asked me about were the flares. And I know, and I know that it was talked about in the documentary. Um, and, and for many, many years, it was indeed believed that Titanic shot off white flares because there were a lot of eyewitness accounts that there were white flares. And if you look at the regulations back then, it's believed that uh, the white flares represented something else. And if you, uh, if you wanted to signal that you were in distress, you would do different colored flares. But a few years ago, I believe, there were um, some discoveries made on the ocean floor. And for a, many, many years, decades, it was common knowledge that Titanic shot off the white flares. However, on the ocean floor, they actually discovered the canisters, the rocket canisters that were used in order to shoot off the rockets. And the interesting thing about that is that in the canisters, there was a little hole punched into the copper where you could see the colors. So anybody shooting off the, the rockets could see what they're about to shoot. And what we realized was, is that there were white canisters and there were also red ones and green ones and other different color ones. So our knowledge that we had, it wasn't actually just white flare shot off. It was multiple, multiple colors that were shot off. Back then, there wasn't an actual standard as to what color should, you know, should be, uh, should be signaled in order to, to signal that you're in distress. So what the, the uh, crew did on the Titanic fourth officer Boxhall, who was the one shooting off the, the flares, he just shot off every single flare. So it's it's something that has been talked about a lot. But if you look at the situation, they were just shooting off any sort of rockets, right? Now, when it comes to the Californian, there are um, there is testimony that the Californian did see rockets being shot off in the distance. And of course, that would have been the Titanic. So there's been a lot of scrutiny for the crew on the California and be like, well, why didn't you try to contact the Titanic? They did try to contact the Titanic, but unfortunately they didn't really think to wake up their radio operator to actually contact them. So what they did try to do is to contact them via Morse lamp. Uh, Titanic never saw that and vice versa. California never saw a response from the Titanic. So they assumed that everything was okay. When they saw the, the lights that they had seen in the distance, when they saw that disappear, they figured that Titanic had just gone the other way and were fine. They never would have imagined uh-huh. that Titanic would have sank. 
the other point the regarding the documentary said that the <laughs> California tried to warn them and they were like, no, thanks. And like uh, the Smith, the captain cursed them out. And then the flares were set and they were like, well, we were trying to warn you. So <laughs> too bad. Yeah, so actually, I remember because I just watched a documentary yesterday. I did. I was the one that pointed out that particular that particular moment. Right. But if you look at that there, so what had happened was throughout the entire day, the wireless operators, Jack Phillips and Harold Bride, they'd been receiving multiple warnings from different ships in the area, other ships that had just gone through the similar area, and they had been issuing the same warning. There's ice, right? So they receive one warning, there's ice in this area. Okay, thank you. They receive another warning, there's ice in this area. Okay, thank you. Another warning, ice in this area. And they kept on relaying those messages hmm. to the captain. If it's one of those messages that are coded to the captain, that has to go to the captain. The captain never once ignored any warnings, even though that tends to be uh, sort of a common uh, story that's told. He didn't ignore any ice warnings. He took them uh, and then, you know, he, he make note of them. He made note of them. But it looks like um, he took them and he went the wrong way anyway. <laughs> So what happened was, uh, as the day progressed, uh, Harold Phillips and, and Jack, or sorry, Harold Brad and Jack Phillips, they were very, very busy taking in customer, you know, people's messages, handling all these different things. And then all of a sudden they hear a booming, like a message come in from, uh, the Californian saying the same message that they had already heard five, six times in the day, be like, there's ice. Uh-huh. So in a human moment, Jack Phillips was like, listen, shut up. I know I'm working Cape Race. Stop. Uh, This coincidentally happened to be at around the same time when uh, the radio operator on the Californian was about to go to bed anyway, right? Uh So that was kind of like a final like, okay, well, yeah, this is the end of my night. This dude just told me to shut up. So I'm just going to call it a night. Back then, the regulations uh, didn't state uh, that people, that ships required 24-hour coverage. So his shift was ended. Uh, he was just listening in and he decided to issue a warning to the Titanic. He got that response. He's like, okay, calling it a night and going to bed. And unfortunately, nobody woke him up to try to communicate later with the Titanic. Mm, okay. <laughs> An evacuation drill. That's a little suspect. Oh, we'll let them go to church. I don't know. Church happens all the time. Shouldn't they have done an evacuation drill? That's a little weird. Too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much how much of that was sort of coincidental in the sense that there was going to be a church service anyway. I wouldn't say that they, they stopped the evacuation drill to let them go to church. I would say that the, it was more so dealing with the weather conditions and, and everything that was happening that day that where they canceled the, the, the drill. Mm-hmm. I think whenever you see sort of these documentaries, you like to make connections. It's like, oh, they decided yeah. to let these people go to church. Right. The truth is that there was a little bit of a drill before uh, Titanic set sail. So the crew members, it's not like they were entirely confused. I did see in the documentary, you know, they, they really play up the aspect that, yeah, right. there was confusion. There was confusion, but there were drills done with those new type davits. There were, however, no drills done with the passengers because when the original day that that was planned, as I mentioned, mm. the weather wasn't really suitable. And uh, one of the other things that I mentioned in the documentary is that 
you got to remember how lifeboats were back then. They're not like how you see in the cruise ships today where you have the electronic, you know, right. and everything. It's, it's quite the ordeal. It requires a lot of manpower and it's very much manual. So you want to be very careful when, whenever you're having lifeboat drills with passengers, because there is an inherent risk that yeah. something is going to go wrong and you don't want something going wrong in the middle of the, of the ocean. Right. Right. And then the other point, 27 people filling a lifeboat, this is go. It kind of is like that joke where or the guy says, you know, help me, God, help me. He sends a lifeboat. He sends, yeah. the, he sends a helicopter. And you go, why did you help me? He's like, I sent all these things. You didn't want them. You, you don't want to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> it's like me all yeah. the time. I try to warn people. And then they're like, oh, you know, I got lost. It's like, hey, I try. Yeah, no. Uh, so the other thing to remember is we got to put ourselves um, we got to transport ourselves back to what was happening. So you're absolutely right. There were some lifeboats that were filled to even less than half of the capacity. There was a lot of controversy with lifeboat number one, for example. That's the lifeboat that infamously had only 12 people, oh. only 12 people on that on that lifeboat. And it was a couple of first-class passengers, um, the Duff Gordons, they, they became very prominent. And then later they were, there was a controversy where people accused them of paying off to get a private boat that that's bogus. That, that's not actually the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason why a lot of those early lifeboats left with such few capacity is um, people didn't really think the Titanic was sinking people. Right. It, it's hard to believe now because we can look back and we know what happened at the events. We know the Titanic sinks at two twenty, right? So you start almost counting down the clock from 1140, be like, okay, we have two hours and 40 minutes. Let's get everybody out. But if we transport ourselves back to when Titanic hit the iceberg, people didn't really know the extent of the damage, A, at 1140. So um, the, you know, the officers, they had to go in there, they had to inspect, they had to see whether the ship was damaged, whether it was mortal damage. Um, and even in doing that, the captain ordered uh all of his crew to start getting the lifeboats ready just in case he did. He took a a precautionary measure just to be ready in case it did have to take that unprecedented step of evacuating passengers in the middle of the night. So it took a while for the crew to get confirmation that Titanic was sinking. It was really around almost an hour before they were a hundred percent sure. And one of the things that I mentioned in the documentary is the captain had to be a hundred, a trillion, a, a billion percent sure that that this was the right measure because you are putting people in the middle of the ocean into rickety boats that are being yeah. um, brought down by ropes, right? So it's not, uh, it's by no means a small decision. It's a very, very big decision that he had to make. Mm-hmm. So the other, the other factor to that is that the crew and the captain, the officers, they knew that there weren't enough lifeboats for everybody aboard. So they had to ensure that there was order, that there was no panic, and there was also no public service announcement system. So initially people were told, oh, everything is fine. Then as things got a little bit you know, worse and they realized, okay, we need to evacuate, they told them, okay, put your life belts on, please go up to the boat deck. We're going to be doing a drill. Uh, some people thought that uh, they had dropped a propeller. Some pe- some people, they knew that something was was a little bit off because they could hear that the engines had stopped. That was very jarring for a lot of people. For they, they, you know, they, they have the engines constantly going and then all of a sudden in the middle of the night, it stopped. So 
people thought that it was going to be a boat drill. Some individuals thought the Titanic was taking on water, but they knew that Titanic could stay afloat because of the, the compartments. So some individuals believe that they needed to put some people into the lifeboats to take some weight off of the Titanic um, in order for Titanic to level off, right? So most individuals early on in the night at around 1240, 1245, when the first lifeboat went off, they, they figured that Titanic was safe. There may have been some trouble, but by no means would anybody have been able to predict that Titanic would actually have, uh, was going to sink. So nobody wanted to be, nobody wanted to volunteer to go into the boats and, you know, take one for their team and just bob there for a few hours before being let back on. It was a very cold night. Mm -hmm. So it was very hard to convince people to go into the lifeboats, right? A lot of people didn't want to go. You compare wooden lifeboat, middle of the ocean compared to the, you know, yeah, warm, these are like fancy lightly. people. The owner of yeah. these, they're like, I want to go into Ben's lifeboat. This is like a Honda Civic lifeboat. No offense to Honda Civic. Yeah, why why would they why would they go choose to go into the wooden lifeboats when they can just right. stay on the nice, warm, seemingly safe ship? Right. So it was very hard to convince people to um to get into those early lifeboats. And at the same time, first officer Murdoch and second officer Lightoller, they knew that they had a very limited amount of time. So they really needed to clear those forward lifeboats first because the ship was going down first, right? right? So it's better to, their thought was like, okay, let's get as many people into this boat and launch as quickly as possible and, and keep on going. So right. that's why you see a lot of those lifeboats. They weren't filled to capacity. People were not willing to get into them. They needed to get as many people out of there as possible. Now you said, who would know, who would know the ship is sinking? So two things, the documentary, uh, said Esther Hart would lie awake at night, prepared to leave any time. So there was one passenger who had premonition, supposedly, supposedly, not the, uh, that the ship would maybe sink and she wouldn't even, she would stay dressed at night, ready to leave. And then Edith Russell asked for her bags to be taken off. She almost didn't go. And then she changed her mind and she, she went. So there's two people that had bad feelings. Now, maybe they're coincidence. Maybe they're nervous Nellies or maybe <laughs> that maybe, you know, they, they had some foresight. They had some little clues. Yeah. With, uh, with all those, um, with all those like anecdotal stories, I always, uh, it's always interesting to read because you, right. you know, somebody in the Titanic community, we, we've read a lot of these stories throughout the years where people say I had a bad feeling um, or, you know, there, there are stories of people having had dreams and then they, they just feel uncomfortable. And I think whenever you have such a big disaster or, or any big piece of technology, you will have some individuals that have a bad feeling about something. Right. Luckily, most of the time it doesn't materialize into anything. So we don't hear about those bad feelings, but when it does turn into a disaster, you know, the one in a million chance, then I think that's when those stories come out. So I don't really know something, maybe it's intuition. Maybe it was foresight. Maybe it was just, who knows what it was. <laughs> Next trust issues. I got lots of trust issues. Just this week, I was told on a film set, your cold time's 10. Now it's 12. Now it's three. Now it's five. We didn't start filming till yeah. 7.30. Oh, we're going to record today. Oh, the audio doesn't work. I went into my real estate job. Oh, we don't need you. I went all the way there, set up. So here's another thing. The Titanic was declared in press releases. The vessel declared to be unsinkable. It's yeah. unsinkable. There's all these press releases. Why are all these people saying things are unsinkable before the thing mm. happened? How do we know that? That's kind of silly. 
It, it sounds silly to us today because I think we're a, we're a very we're not a trusting society nowadays. We take everything with a grain of salt, and I agree. Uh, and I think that's the right approach. I don't really I, trust. You know, in today, if you were to say something, how'd you know I was going to show up at twelve? Ship cannot sink. This car cannot crash. People would be like, "What are you saying? Like you're you're putting? Don't say yeah, that." But again, I think it really uh, we really got to go and try to imagine what things were like back then. So in 1912, humanity, the world, and especially America and you know the West, were going through the Industrial Revolution. So the prevailing mentality at the time is that listen, we can really achieve anything if we put our minds to it with technology, with science, we are pretty much invincible. So the whole, all of humankind was sort of a little bit uh, arrogant in that sense. They really placed a lot of trust in their technology. They felt invincible. So Titanic wasn't the first ship to be called unsinkable. Just to know it's, we oftentimes we think that, oh yeah, Titanic was, you know, unsinkable, but many, many other ships at the time, as technology was evolving, this was common for people to say, listen, this is, here's new technology. We have watertight doors. These ships are designed to not sink because of course, no ship is designed to sink. You know what I mean? No ship is designed to sink. So that they they sort of leaned, leaned into those, uh, those safety qualities and everything. So a lot of these ships were designed to be sort of like their own lifeboats, right? If, if they get breached here, there's mechanisms in place to contain the water. So uh, all the, the press at the time, they really wanted to focus on the safety. Now it is important to note, and I know that the documentary talked about this, and I'm glad that, that it was brought up, that the White Star Line never officially declared or guaranteed the Titanic was, that was unsinkable. What happened was that there was a, a, an article in a shipbuilder's magazine outlining a lot of Titanic's new safety features. And in these, you know, in this magazine, they described the 16 watertight compartments, uh, the automatic um, watertight doors that could come down. So there were a lot of really cool safety features. And they pretty much said that the ship was designed to be unsinkable. The press sort of took that and then the prevailing thought was basically, oh yeah, Titanic is unsinkable. And of course, everybody else around that, they just took that and were like, okay, Titanic is unsinkable. Titanic is unsinkable. So even though it was never officially advertised as unsinkable, it is true that the majority of uh, passengers and people um, and even a lot of the crew, they were under the impression that Titanic was unsinkable. And the final thing, well, I have to just say that there were 40,000 eggs on the boat. Uh, what do we call it? A boat? Is oh, the a- ship, yeah. The yeah, ship. Sorry. I don't I don't know nautical terms. I'm on like <laughs> I like my feet planted on land. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know this stuff. Seventy-five thousand pounds of meat, thirty-six thousand apples, three hundred and thirty-six gallons of drinking water. And the final the final point I will make before we close is that I always say that women and men should be dressed functionally. We should be dressed in things that we can make things happen. You know, if I'm dressed in heels, I'm not going to get anything done. I can't walk across the room. If I'm dressed in this tight skirt, which the women were, apparently uh, there were women that couldn't even jump onto the lifeboats. Uh, one account said, my gra- great-grandmother had to leap into a lifeboat 70 feet over the water, but their skirts were so tight, they prohibited movement. 
at, hey, if they were dressed like me right now, no problem, right? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> lesson, lesson, the only lesson of the Titanic, there's only one lesson, is to dress functionally. Get over, the get leisure over. trend should have happened 110 years ago. That's tight <laughs> jeans, tight jeans. Like, what are you, what are you crazy? You're, you're, yeah, you're exactly. Not. It's life or death if you wear tight jeans. So yeah. So any final thoughts before we close? Uh, yeah. I mean, with, um, with the Titanic, it, it's just so interesting because as I mentioned, we're still talking about it 110 years uh, later, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of these events where it really was, almost like a perfect storm of, 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 of factors that went into the sinking of the Titanic. You know, the pre- prevailing mentality at the time, the way that people thought of technology, what Titanic represented, you know, the luxury, um, the, the first class passengers, you know, famous people, wealthy people, powerful people, the third class passengers who represented people looking for new opportunities, that optimism that they were going to go start a new life, all this packaged into, you know, the, one of the greatest engineering marvels at the time and the biggest ship in the world on the maiden voyage to be taken down by something so simple as, you know, an inanimate object, an iceberg in the middle of the ocean. And then for the ship to sink in such a way, so slow, two hours and 40 minutes for all of this drama to play out. And the one thing that I will say is sometimes people like to scrutinize. It's like, oh, wait, Titanic was made out of crappy metal. You know, the, the iron that was used was not, was not good. Titanic was a bad ship. No, in fact, it was a complete opposite. Titanic was built so well that if you look at a lot of the other ships at the time, they wouldn't have lasted as long as Titanic. We see other shipwrecks where, for example, uh, you know, the Lusitania, obviously that was a very different type of shipwreck, but that ship went down very quickly. Titanic, it's, it's crazy to see a shipwreck, you know, almost three hours, she was able to stay afloat, fighting to stay afloat so that as many people could get off the ship as possible. So I think it's, it's one of these events that it really captures us. No matter what, there's people going to be looking at, were there any other theories that went into this? Was it really the fire that caused it? Was it, was it this? But I think if, if we want the really simple answer is sometimes, you know, it's, we, we try to rationalize things uh, by by looking at these theories, but sometimes the answer is very simple. It's just it was a very unfortunate event. Um, there was the iceberg, Titanic at the iceberg, and then these two thousand two hundred individuals had to figure out what to do in those two hours and forty minutes. And really, it was a date with destiny that night, as the documentary says. And I think it's one of those dates that we'll be revisiting for hundreds of years to come. I'm never going to look at the ice trays in my freezer the same way. I'm just going to like, I'm looking at my freezer right now. I'm like, I shouldn't get too close because maybe I won't make it to this movie premiere tonight. Cause uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, those ice. Or you'll, you'll, you'll play with the ice tray and be like, Oh, this is how Titanic sang. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to get an assistant to, to deal with my ice trays. Cause you never know. Really bad joke. That's what I do. Cause I'm a dad. I do identify as a dad. So this has been L man with Raph Avalon. <laughs> And uh, thank you so much. And more back to more. It came from the radio. Hey, guys, this is Christy from Custom Cakes by Christy. I want you to know that I'm here for you. I'm keeping my private kitchen open for any needs your family may have. I've been focusing on bread, soups, muffins, quiches and other basics, but I'm still accepting dessert orders as well. 
Please follow my Facebook for immediate pickup items. Private message me for custom orders. Custom Cakes by Christy, I-N-C-K-R-I-S-T-Y. Text me at 631-606-8166. Hey everybody, this is Todd McFarland of the Record Setting Spawn comic series. And if you're looking for any kind of cool conversation about creators, about entertainment, about all that good stuff, you go to It Came From The Radio. You're listening to the right spot. If you had any honor, you would listen to Sci-Fi.Radio, the sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. Kapla. Now, back to our show. So that about does it for this week on the Came From The Radio. Join us right here any week on this radio station. If you miss any part of this show, tough. go to our newly revised website, www.itcamefromradio.com. The archives will be up in a week or so. Check us out on such places as btd.radio, sci-fi.radio, indievolt.com. Check us out on our places such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube page, Twitter. And always follow the cost-benefit ratio. If the benefits outweigh the costs, do it. If the costs outweigh the benefits, don't do it. Or... Just Google, it came from the radio. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to It Came From The Radio with Mark Torres. The views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management, owners, or staff of the station. We now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast.